and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer Speaks. I am your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm thrilled you could join us today. We are going to be talking with former Governor Martin Schreiber, who has written a book called My Two Elaines, which is his journey with his wife, Elaine, with dementia. But before I introduce you to Marty, um, I want to do a couple of announcements. One, if you are in Minnesota on October 10th, which is a Tuesday, I'll be speaking at Artist Senior Living in Woodbury. Uh, we're going to be talking about my book, Betty the Bald Chicken Lessons in How to Care. And it's a, it's a children's book, but it is good for all of us at all ages. And it's not just dementia specific, how you can utilize this book. The presentation starts at five. Uh, they'll start gathering at 4.30. You can RSVP to Jana McCoy at 651-493-2840. And then um, what else do I have for public events? Uh, in November on the 10th, I'm going to be down in Amarillo, Texas with the Area Agency on Aging for their 17th Annual Caregiver Conference. And that will be a full day event. Um, looking forward to meeting everybody down there. You can call for more information at 806-331-2227. And of course, you can always go to our site, alzheimerspeaks.com. Go to our free educational resource tab. There you'll find other events as well. You can access our book tab. And again, you can find a ton of free resources from audio, video, written, um, things you can download, all kinds of things. So please check that out. And please don't forget about Dementia Map, which is our global resource directory that you can go to at any time and you won't have to worry about being bothered or scammed or anything there. We don't have any pop-ups. We're not going to ask you to build an account. So check out DementiaMap.com. So let me introduce you to the former governor of Wisconsin, Martin Shriver. Well, Governor Shriver, I am so excited to have you on the show today. Um, you have been doing powerful work. And I don't know if you remember this, but we actually shared the stage. I can't even remember what conference it was at, but we were both speakers. And you were on the show back in, I want to say, 2017, so quite a while ago. Um, but you have just such a, a genuine, true, loving story about how to care. And so I, I'm excited to have you back on with us. So thank you for taking the time today. Well, Lori, thank you. And I tell you, when I understand um, what kinds of, of special uh, feelings and, and, and insights you bring, uh, we are all very grateful for what you do. So thank you for that, Lori. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, we're better together, you know, and sharing our stories to me is the best way for people to learn. It's non-threatening, it's authentic, and it just shows how, how diverse this disease is, that it doesn't care who you are, where you live, how much money you have. And, and yet we all are dealing with uh, these common threads that we can help one another out with. And uh, just by being understanding and supporting of one another. And if we don't share our stories, we're never ever going to get the support we need. <laughs> you know, we're not going to be a priority on the list. So it's it's important to have these conversations. So I'm going to have you introduce your yourself to our audience, if you don't mind. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm Marty Schreiber. Um, long time ago, I used to be governor of Wisconsin. And uh, uh, for the last uh, um, amount of time, some 20 years. Uh, my wife passed away a year and a half ago, but uh, she had been 
uh, diagnosed and lived with Alzheimer's for roughly 18 years. And in that journey with her, uh, there were some things that I found out that I wish I would have known at a much earlier time. And uh, as I saw more and more, uh, the fact that if Alzheimer's is bad, ignorance of the disease is worse, uh, I decided I would want to write a book. And I would want to write a book to help caregivers learn, cope, and survive. And so I wrote a book called My Two Elaines. And uh, uh, that book and uh, what I experienced with Elaine has really brought me, uh, I would say, propelled me in, into a mission. And, and the mission is to help people better understand this disease uh, so they're better able to cope. And if, if I say that we need to better understand this disease, there's ignorance out there of the disease, but by the medical profession, for example, and by we caregivers and by families of, of people who are ill and their relatives and their friends and so forth. And so, gosh, um, <clears throat> when, when I better understood this disease, I was a much better caregiver. And I think my anxiety level went down. I think I ended up maybe drinking less, uh, which ended up uh, being a good thing. Uh, so uh, uh, so introducing myself, I, I guess what I would say that I'm someone who, who wants to make sure that people can understand this disease so they can have a, a better life. And uh, 20 years ago, when my wife was first diagnosed, this disease could not be cured or prevented. Today, this disease cannot be cured or prevented. And so what can we do? Well, we can decide we're going to try and help our loved one live their best life possible, as well as ourselves as caregivers. I agree. I agree. I I want to cure as much as anybody, but I'm I'm a grassroots girl and I'm yelling and screaming for care. You know, there are so many people dealing with this right now that need support. They need our help. And there are so many beautiful resources out there that people don't know about. And that's, you know, one of my goals with Alzheimer's Speaks and Dementia Map is to get people connected and to raise voices like yours that have been in the trenches, know what it's like, and, and are willing to share an honest journey. Um, I think so often in society, and we were talking a little bit offline about where society is with the bullying and all these expectations of how we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to act. And, you know, mental health is on the rise. And I think it's important for people on this journey to be able to feel fully the range of emotions so that they can move through them. And, um, and so often I think they're shut down and they feel, they don't feel like there's a place for them. And um, so I, I, again, I appreciate the time and I appreciate your advocacy um, in this space. It's, it truly, truly is important for all of us. When you say range of emotions, uh, one of the things that I have begun to understand more clearly, uh, I had a friend who tragically and unfortunately, uh, well, he retired and he's enjoying his retirement. He eats dinner one night and then while watching TV, he dies of a massive heart attack. That's tragic. There is not a question about it. But what happened was there was a funeral and people came to express their condolences, express their sympathy, and there was closure. One of the things that we caregivers do not understand is the fact that we are grieving. We are in a grieving process and we grieve a little bit every day because every day we see our loved one's memory disappear. And as we see our loved one's memory disappear, we see our loved one disappear. And so, yes, we have the sadness and the anxiety and, and the depression. But as you said, if we can get these feelings out and, and, and share them with other people, it makes the job of a caregiver uh, so much easier. But let me mention one other point. Uh, if we can assume hypothetically that, you know, we're on a Caribbean cruise or wherever we're on a cruise and, and one of our, our, our viewers falls overboard, well, what we will do is throw them a lifeline. Well, if we throw that lifeline and that lifeline breaks, they're going to drown. What I found out uh, my, in, in my book, My Two Elaines, um, I, I found out before going to press that my wife was keeping notes 
and diaries since her diagnosis. And I found them, and I want you to know that we had prayed together and cried together, but never did I understand the courage that it took, but never did I understand how important I was in her life. You know, here she knows she's losing her memory. Here she has all of these doubts, and she has this guy, you know, sort of being irrationally irritable and not being being understanding and not being patient. So here is the point. The point is that if we caregivers don't take care of ourselves, if we don't get enough sleep, if we don't socialize, if we don't eat right, if we if we don't get enough exercise, what we are doing is gnawing at that lifeline. And now it's time for us to help our loved one. We throw the lifeline and it's no good. Why is it no good? Because we're no good. We're no good to ourselves. So it is so critical that we caregivers understand how important we are in our loved one's life by taking care of ourselves. And then also we caregivers, particularly we men caregivers, have to understand so clearly, have to understand so clearly that to ask for help is a sign that you're not giving up. To ask for help is courage. And I use the example, let's assume that we are we are surrounded by an enemy and we know that under the current circumstances, we can do nothing to survive. What is the courageous thing to do? The courageous thing to do and the brave thing to do is to go for help and to make sure then by going for help, we can get the necessary assistance. I will tell caregivers, particularly male caregivers, please understand you can't do it by yourself. You know, we may be able to find any place in the world without asking directions. You know, we may be able to quarterback a football team or do whatever. But when it comes to this disease, please understand it. And 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 you're you're doing it to help your loved one, but you're also doing it for yourself. Yeah, it is really a team sport. And I always look at dementia, any diagnosis. It's not a diagnosis of one. It's a diagnosis of a whole family and a community because it, it affects so many people, you know, friends, families, neighbors, um, people at the grocery store in the bank. I mean, we're all intertwined. And so we have to be conscious. We have to learn more and we have to understand better and get rid of that judgment. You know, some of those roll of the eyes and the scowls or the scolding that goes on so often because everybody is kind of in this reality-based world and the person with dementia, you know, their ship is turned and they're, they're not in this linear line of how things happen. Um, you know, their, their ability of, of time and space and, and who's connected to who has all changed um, as well, the disease progresses. Yes. As I said, if there's one thing worse than Alzheimer's, it's ignorance of the disease, you know, and by churches and synagogues and parishes, uh, uh, by the medical profession who doesn't understand that there's at least two patients in this situation and 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 neighbors and so on and and because there's ignorance of the disease people don't know how to respond and so that's another challenge then for caregivers and that's because because our friends and neighbors and relatives may be ignorant of this disease what do you do when something like that well if they have cancer it's easy enough to bring them a chicken casserole and and help that way but if they have Alzheimer's dementia, well, we don't know what to do, so they stay away. And so now the caregiver is not only trying to deal with this issue at hand, but also is beginning, wait a minute, why are my friends of 30, 40 years staying away? And now all of a sudden it's a feeling of being deserted, of being abandoned. And, and that ends up being even more of a challenge. But let me get to one, one, one other, other thing. I mentioned these notes and journals that Elaine had been keeping. And every, every chapter of my book, My Two Elaines, begins by uh, one of Elaine's writings. And uh, I said that, uh, you know, we had cried together and prayed together, but I never understand the courage and, and, and so forth. But also what, what, this, what her writing showed me is the degree of, of, of anxiety that she goes through as she realizes she has Alzheimer's, but is aware and is in her, in, in, in our world. But then as the disease progresses, she ends up going into her own world. And what big mistake I made was I was trying to keep her in my world. 
Elaine, no, it didn't happen on a Saturday. It happened on a Friday. It wasn't the Smiths. It was the Joneses. Why did you put the car keys in the dishwasher? Why do you ask me the same question so much? I told you seven times we're leaving that night. So all of these things. And, and, it's, and so she was innocent in her mind of any of these things. And so here she knows she's losing her memory, but now she's being accused of all kinds of things that she never even thought of happening and so forth. And so please, if if there is anything that we can do to help our loved one is is to join her world. And um, I, just quickly, I she asked me once how her parents are. And I said, I, I said, Elaine, they're both dead. Well, the shock on her face when she realized maybe she didn't go to the funeral, um, much, much less, you know, say goodbye to her parents. Well, I promised myself I would never put her through that again. Well, at another time, then she asked me, how are my parents? Oh, I said, Elaine, your mom and dad are great. Your mom likes working at church. Your dad likes the sports. Well, that's therapeutic fibbing and uh, uh, therapeutic fibbing. And 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 I want you to know, uh, uh, Laurie, there are two things about therapeutic fibbing. One is I tried it the first year of marriage and it doesn't work so good. But then the <laughs> second thing about therapeutic fitting is, and you may not believe this, but you know, when Moses went up to Mount Sinai and he brought down the 10 commandments, uh, that was uh, written in Arabic, uh, Hebrew on the front. But I took a look at the back of, of the tablets and written in plain English is the fact therapeutic fitting is okay and even highly recommended at times. And so um, if we can remember then the importance of the rule really to join their world and that makes all the difference in trying to help our loved one live their best life possible. Well, you gave some great examples of trying to pull somebody back into our reality. And it's, it's, it's to me, it's that right or wrong, you know, um, basis that we live in versus kind of walking into the, the new hues and the new colors of what they see and, uh, for me, you know, I call it Fiblet's therapeutic line. And it was such a gift to be able to respond and keep her calm. You know, it was just like, oh my gosh. But I, I've, I'm, I'll never forget, I was out in New Jersey speaking one time and I had mentioned the whole Fiblet thing. And one woman came up and she just scolded me afterwards. And she was raised Catholic and she was not going to start lying to her, her mom now. You know, and I said, that's your choice. I said, but that's not my choice. And I saw a huge difference by using this technique. I had one gentleman in my memory cafe who he, he really did not want to do that either. He really struggled. And his wife kept asking where her parents were or, you know, where are we going if they went on a trip and stuff. And so he started having a suitcase packed at the door and so, you know, we're in, if she wanted to go see her parents, he'd go, okay, let's go. And we'd get in the car, they'd go for a drive. She'd forget about it. And then they'd come back. And, you know, if she recognized home, that was great. And if she didn't, they were on vacation and that, you know, it, but it was just a simple thing. And he said it turned into for him a game of trying to keep her calm and, and be able to get those pops of joy out of her and comfort instead of, you know, that, that scared look or that, that um, frustration that would arise. I mean, if you have a choice of, of what to give as a gift, you know, anger and frustration or joy and peacefulness, to me, that's a no brainer, but people don't look at it like a choice. And it, it truly is. And when they're happy, you're happier, you're yeah. calmer. I mean, it's, it's, there's a ripple effect there. Yes. And then uh, there's not only the therapeutic fibbing, uh, but that also redirection. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's 30 in the morning. Elaine says, I want a glass of, of, of wine. Well, no, you can't. No. Uh, you want red wine or white wine? You know, do you want to drink it with your sisters or with the neighbors and so forth? And, and by redirection, uh, hopefully she'll get off and we don't have to have that confrontation because you cannot win. I have found out you cannot win a battle with this disease, Alzheimer's, it, it's, it's impossible, but we can through redirection. And so let's assume, for example, hypothetically, that redirection doesn't work. Well, 
what is wrong with someone having a glass of wine at 9.30 in the morning anyway when it comes right down to it, nothing. And so it, um, I, I wrote the book because I wanted, it's like I had traveled this mountain trail and I found all kinds of pitfalls and, and, and challenges and so forth. So now I back down to the bottom and other people are coming to take the same trail. And I say, please sit down with me for a moment. Please take a look at, uh, and hear what I want to tell you so that your life and the life one, life and the life of your loved one can be made easier. And uh, I, I have seen this, this conflict head on. No, you can't have uh, a, you know, a, 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 another cup of coffee or no, you can't have another cookie. Or, Why did you grab someone's water? Why? And so forth. Oh, please. This is tough enough. This disease is tough enough without, uh, you know, without understanding it. And it's not that you have to be, a, you know, a science scientist in order to understand the importance of joining their world. Exactly. Um, I just want to mention for those that are just popping in and listening to the show right now, we have been talking with former Wisconsin Governor Martin Schreiber, and he is sharing his story about caring for his wife. Elaine, who is diagnosed with dementia. Um, he's written a, his book, um, Two Elaines, and it's just been a fascinating conversation. So you can always rewind and go back to the beginning, or of course you can um, listen now and then listen again later. Um, but don't forget to go check out his website, mytwoelaines.com. That's mytwoelaines.com. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-494-8310. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-494-8310. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-494-8310. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So... Marty, one of the things that I want to talk to you about is, you know, the title of your book, My Two Elaines. Did you see two separate people, you know, that you titled it that, you know, how did the title come to you? Well, it is, it is two separate people, but the same person and how, you know, that sounds like a contradiction in terms, but that's what it was. The, the first Elaine was this woman who I fell in love with and married with four children and 13 grandchildren and my friend, my companion, everything that you would want in a life's partner, everything. I was so fortunate. Well, the second Elaine began to appear when she would get lost going to and from places she had been going to and from for 10 years. I began to appear the second Elaine when she, as a great cook, would mess up recipes so badly she would cry or she would scrape the side of the car uh, in and out of the garage. So that was the second Elaine. And uh, again, uh, as, as we had talked about, once I understood that I had to join the world of this new person, once once I could finally, and it's bitter, it's a bitter experience, but I, I, I think we've got to do it. Once I let go of this person who once was, I could now embrace the person who now is a different person. And and so sometimes I think, wow, that was a tough role all those years. But then I think, how often do we get the chance to love two people uh, of the same person? And I felt, I feel so, so fortunate that I had the opportunity to be with her. As you told me, you felt blessed with, you know, being a caregiver for your mom for that length of time and, and how your mom would be so happy as to now what you can do with all of what you learned from her. Yep. 
Well, and I agree with you too. One of the gifts, I, I think looking back, I mean, I think of the time when my, my daughter who was, you know, three and five used to sit and color with grandma, they would both color. And I got to see this innocence of her as a child that I never, ever would have experienced without dementia. I mean, it was just this true, pure innocence of, of two little minds um, just enjoying each other's company and holding up their pictures just as proud. You know, if, if one is 65 and one is five, they were both just as proud of, of what they had accomplished. And, you know, that just kind of melted my heart to be able to see that side. My mom was always a kind person. She was a very social person. Um, but I got to see I got to see and hear different things, um, learn from her in different ways. Um, and to really be able to, especially as the disease progressed, appreciate that it really wasn't the big, big, bright and shiny things that were important in my life at all anymore. It was kind of the small, dull little objects and times that would just come alive with this even short little burst of energy and a smile and a giggle or a touch or a kiss that would just melt my heart. And so many people would miss those things because they're looking for big, bright and shiny. And um, that made our relationship uh, much more intimate. I like, I didn't, I didn't understand all the levels of intimacy. I thought, well, you know, I got married, I had a child. I kind of thought that was, that was it, you know, and that unconditional love. But I found through this process there were many levels of unconditional love, because as you said, as we grieve and we lose more, it can pull us in another direction to really gift us um, this understanding and this, this, um, I don't know, for me, like with my mom, I, I look at the, the levels of loving her that I went through. And at the end, it, it was like, really spiritual. I mean, it's like, you can't even put it into words because there's, there's a closeness you can't even explain in words. Does that make any sense to you? It, it makes a lot of sense. And while you were telling me that, um, I was reminded now, Elaine was uh, roughly eight and a half years at assisted living memory care. And many times we would have lunch uh, in the cafeteria. So one day we're, we're having lunch and, and she's beginning to cry. I said, why are you crying? Well, she said, she looked at me, she said, I'm beginning to love you more than my husband. Well, I didn't ask her what's wrong with your turkey husband. I didn't do that at all. But here is what that, that showed me. It, it, it showed me that it was not necessary for her to know my name in order for our hearts to touch. And I try and have caregivers and their families understand it's not necessary. I mean, yes, it does hurt. There is no question about it. When our loved one of many, many years cannot remember our name, but okay, that's the situation. That does not mean your hearts cannot touch and your hearts can touch by a hug, by the holding of hands, by the singing of a song, by just a smile. And 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 so, like you said, you know, it's not the big shiny things, you know, it's it's the things that touch, that touch the heart. And again, like like a holding of the hand or the singing of a song or the giving of a hug and 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 if there's one thing worse than Alzheimer's, it's ignorance of the disease. And I think that we really don't understand the true significance of just simply the sharing, uh, the sharing, the sharing of the heart and what a difference that can make, not only in our loved one's life but also in our own life as well. Oh, I agree. I think it. Uh, you know, as the disease progresses, it, it, it forces us to use our multi-sensory um, gifts. And I think in this fast paced world, we've lost that it's either, you know, it's a text, it's an email, it's a, it's a sharp word, it's quick, it's over. I mean, even, you know, with videos and stuff, someone said, Oh, yeah, real shouldn't be longer than six seconds. <laughs> you know, And it's just like, we're teaching people to not have attention span and not pay attention just to move on to the next thing. But I think this disease makes us appreciate the whole person and the relationship and the connection that we have. Um, for me, I developed a tool called Your Memory Chip. And it was after I snapped at my mom when she repeated herself 45 times in 10 minutes and then I felt that dreaded guilt that we all feel. 
And I ended up interviewing people. I won't go in all the details. People can go to the website um, to our um, free educational tools and see a video and download the tool. But it taught me to go from being task oriented to kind of visiting the bottom of, of Maslow's theory and focus instead of on the task. First, was she safe? Was she happy? Was she pain free? And those became my priorities. And what I what that did was it made me do my tasks differently. It made me get rid of some because some of them were on there to make me feel good. Like I was doing something for a disease that wasn't curable. And it, I think one of the biggest gifts was it allowed me to be relaxed and content when she was. So I could just sit on the couch next to her and not say a word, you know, hold hands or not, or have my arm around her or not. It didn't make any difference. But just to relish being in her presence, I always appreciated that prior to dementia. But for some reason, we like give that up. And it's so important. I mean, we're not always keeping people active and, and talking all the time when we're with a loved one. You know, it just feels good to be with them. There is no gold, not enough gold. There are not enough diamonds, not enough major yachts, not enough of any riches that can compare to having your heart's touch when you have your loved one uh, uh, feeling you hope contented and 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 comfortable and in in loss of anxiety mm -hmm. so important yeah to just both of you to feel safe and comfortable you know in each other's presence especially in today's world where it's so crazy you know you don't know if you want to walk out the door or not you know with with all the rattling and shaking that's going on i think being able to to find that peace and have that that love just really resonate through you is is such a gift now when, when i said no gold and 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 so forth but i say uh i would like to have patsy klein cds uh, <laughs> we we did an awful lot of listening to Patsy Cline and uh, Elaine just could relate to that and uh, all the hours that we spent listening to Patsy Cline. And, and you know, um, one, one day Elaine and I were sitting at, at the, uh, looking out the window over at uh, Memory Care Assisted Living. And uh, I, I was getting to the point where I was begrudging the situation you know, I thought, gee, you know, if she wouldn't be sick, we could be traveling Europe and so forth. And I said, well, what if we would be doing be doing if we travel to Europe? Well, we would be probably sitting and looking in in the Alps and in Switzerland, and maybe looking at the trees. And what would we be doing? Well, we'd be watching the trees, uh, you know, fall from the, and so forth. Well, here's what we were doing: we were sitting next to each other, holding hands, and we were watching the leaves fall from the trees. And so, hey. You know, who has to put up with that long seven hour and a half airplane ride and all of the other things that go with it? We we got it right there. And gosh, um, as you said, uh, Lori, the whole situation changes as your mental your mental awareness and, and your understanding changes. And you are able to take the things that you never thought could give you satisfaction and, and peace of mind. Uh, and all of a sudden, there it is, and and uh, and so it's, it's a peace. Uh, it's a peace that the world cannot give. Uh, I, exactly, exactly. Um, I wanted to ask you about in your book. Um, you have some some points that you called "What I Wish I Knew." Could you share a couple of those with our listeners? Well. Um, I, I won't take the, the trouble to page through it right now, but well, I, I think what I wish I would have known, number one, was the importance of joining her world. Uh, that that really is is the important point. Uh, I wish that I would have known more about the disease. Uh, I wish that I would have known more how important it was to ask for help. Uh, I, I wish that I would have shared more with my friends about what was going on and uh, all those things where, you know, we 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 caregivers for some reason or another i don't know if we are overly proud or or what it is that keeps us that keeps us from sharing with our friends what our feelings are and and so on and when 
when I asked some of my friends to look at the manuscript of the book, they said, we had no idea what you were going through. Why didn't you tell us? And so what I wish I would have done is shared right from the beginning more of this of, of my experience. And I think it would have made things better for Elaine. Yeah, but it, it, it's hard, though, because friends aren't always open to really hearing that either, you know, and I think, you know, we're kind of assessing them up there, assessing us in terms of what to do. And it's so hard when friends, like you mentioned, walk away. I remember my folks, um, you know, friends of, of 40 years and, and more that just couldn't be around. You know, one of one of my mom's friends um, could not go visit her once she moved, just couldn't do it, but wanted to meet with me every every month um, or every other month at, at least case uh, scenario and get an update. And I'll never forget uh, sharing with her a DVD that was done with my mom singing. A friend was a videographer and another one was a singer. And they said, Lori, for all the work you're doing for everyone else, we want to gift you um, kind of music therapy with your mom and, and videotape it. And they were going to be there an hour. Mom lasted a half an hour. And I've got all these short little clips on YouTube that are just absolutely magical. And I went to meet with my mom's friend and I, I pushed the DVD um, across the, the table to her as I was getting into the booth. And she just screamed out. She was like 76 years old. She screamed out at the restaurant. I thought you were taking good care of her. She looks horrible. Lori, I'm so mad at you right now. I don't even know what to say. Look at her. That doesn't even look like your mom. But she she wasn't around. She didn't see my mom because she couldn't do it. And, you know, I, I could feel just the laser fire shooting at me from her eyes. And everyone in the restaurant is turning and, and looking at us. And I remember kind of giggling and she's like, this isn't funny, Lori. I'm so disappointed in you. And I got quiet. And then I said, okay, thank you. Thank you. What are you thanking me for? And I said, Kay, because until this minute right now, I didn't know you don't see what I see. Well, what do you see? That doesn't even look like your mom. I said, Kay, I know mom always had beautiful pearly whites. And now her teeth look like a rusted chainsaw with fried rice hanging off them, you know, with her broken teeth. I said, but what I see is a big, beautiful smile in her dimples. I see her squinty eyes because she's laughing, yet I still see a glint in her eyes. I said, Kay, when I look at this picture, I hear my mom giggle. This is pure joy. Mm -hmm. This is what it looks like today. This is not an abused or neglected woman. This is a very well-loved woman. But this is what it looks like today. Because it's not about propping somebody up so that everyone else feels comfortable around them. It's an authentic shot. And, you know, when I play these videos, when I go speak, everybody in the audience just melts because they can hear my mom giggle. They can see the joy. Um, but again, we are so used to making people look well, making people, you know, making others feel comfortable. And, you know, that's not an authentic snapshot of, of illness. You know, like you and I, you know, there might be days where we don't want to take a shower and we stay in our jammies all day. We don't think twice about it, but we're going to make that dementia person get up and take a shower and look decent. And, you know, we, we treat them different. The standards are different. We don't even know we're doing it. Well, you know, just just as what what I think about when you say take a shower, you, you know, to to all of a sudden go into assisted living memory care, and to all of a sudden have a complete stranger putting you in a shower and washing you and touching you and and so forth, it's something that that we don't think about uh, at at all as far as what. But you know, I was just going to take a shower. And but I think it it what what that does to me, it just reinforces what you said. And that is 
it it it's it's not about the friends and it's not about the neighbors. It's about the the the, the person who is on this journey, who we are trying to help give their best life possible. And it is too bad that uh, your mom's friend ended up in in that kind of outlook on things. And hopefully, you know, that will come around. I don't know if it did or not come it, around. It did come around. But it was but it was an awkward moment, needless to say, you know, and she had to, I think, process all of that because she still had this vision of my mom, you know, dressed to the nines sure, and sure. being who she always had known. And well, when you when you talk about that, I have four children <clears throat> and one of my children, my son, wanted to remember remember mom as she was. Mm -hmm. Here's what I learned from that. And that is that everyone mourns in their own way. And not only that, I have no right to tell anyone how to mourn. Mm -hmm. And so if, if that, you know, my son would, would climb, would, would, would fly to here to the moon and back uh, to be helpful to me or to uh, his mom when she was alive and so forth. But he just, was at the point where, you know, and and to a degree, you know, to to try and understand, yeah, uh, it is about the person who is ill, but by the same token, because people are ignorant of this disease, they don't know how to react or act, and and that's where this this communication sort of breaks down. Yeah, well, I remember um, digging through photos one day, and I ran across a photo of my wedding day. And it was a picture of me and my mom and my dad. Yes. And, I'll, you know, all of a sudden I'm reminiscing and going back to when I got engaged, Tom and I called my folks and my mom was all excited. And well, of course it was my dad, but uh, we, you know, we told them we were going to get married and my mom calls us back in 20 minutes and she has the church, the menu and the hall all, all set up in 20 minutes. And she was so excited. She loved to celebrate. She loved to organize and things. And I, for many, many years, I, I put my mom on a pedestal and that's who I always wanted her to be. And I didn't realize I was even doing that till I looked at that picture and I thought, wow, everything has changed. My dad's dead. My mom's got dementia. I'm divorced. Nothing has stayed the same. And yet I'm trying to keep her in a time capsule. How unfair is that? You know, and, but we are also taught, you know, from the, the time we're diagnosed, I mean, most of us walk out of the doctor's office being told, you know, just as we're walking down the hall and don't forget, get your affairs in order. So we're told this is going to be a short journey. It's going to be over. Um, for our family, we would have been looking at our watch if we listened to the doctors going, uh, time's up, you know, five to seven years. It's 15 years now. It's 20 years now. It's 25. She lived 30 years with the disease. We would have lost so much being preoccupied by that. So when I go speaking, you know, I, I, tell people, you know, a lot of us start taking pictures and we don't even realize we're doing it, but we're taking pictures to prepare for the funeral and to be able to have, you know, capture some moments of joy. And so I put up this um, collage and I say, and I just, I just let it get quiet and I can hear a little buzz in the audience. And I said, I know what you're thinking. That lady's had a lot of bad hair days. And they all giggle. And I said, but who here hasn't? And who here hasn't had a good day when they've had a bad hair day? Mm -hmm. Who hasn't felt comfortable? You know, I, and, and point out, it just looks different, but there is joy in the journey. And we can, we can share that by telling our stories instead of propping them up to make everyone look comfortable. You know, really, really telling an authentic journey of what's what and I agree with you everybody grieves different but if we don't give them options to come from a different perspective nothing's ever going to change either and I think by giving people different perspectives of how to frame things it can give that person grieving you know great um 
great support. You know, uh, for me, one of one of the things I also talk about that that again was a lesson I learned on this powerful journey was when I was grieving really deeply, where your your stomach just hurts and you can't stop crying, and it, all of a sudden it came to me, how lucky am I to hurt this bad? because I loved this deeply. Not everybody loves that deeply. You know, and that that pulled me out of, you know, when you get depressed and it's just like, oh, I don't want to do anything. You know, those moments of, oh, woe is me. And this was really a tough journey. It's like, this was a great journey. Well, it takes a while to get to that point. Um, mm-hmm. I, You know, and, and to have those moments like you described when you could, understand that that you know that you had good things come out of this but um i uh i i in in my book there's a discussion between myself and a neuropsychologist and what she basically said uh was that uh, you will find these moments of joy like you described lloyd just now and i came back and i said wait a minute you know maybe in the next life but (laughs) one of the matter is we have to look for it and uh, and if we look carefully enough, we're going to find it. But uh, it just doesn't it just doesn't fall fall into place like that because of well you know the grieving and the depression and so forth. But let, you mentioned crying, and and I just want to mention that a little bit too, particularly the men who are caregivers. Uh, we've got to let it out, and uh, I I really encourage uh, uh, situations where you are going to be. Uh, in in a position where you can just truly do your grieving and just truly let it out because uh, it's tough, you know it's 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 tough to be a caregiver and and uh, and 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 just dealing with all of those emotions and and we we have to understand that it's tough and within that framework then I think understanding that it's tough we can begin then to look for things that are going to help us get through it and. Uh, by the grace of God, we're going to do it. Yep. Now you, I'm so glad that you brought that up about being able to cry. And, you know, are there other tips you have for male caregivers? Because it is a different journey. We're seeing more and more men stepping in um, to this role. And I remember even with my own dad, I mean, my dad couldn't cook. He couldn't boil water. He couldn't do any of that stuff. You know, the outside chores were his and the inside chores were mom's. And boy, he just stepped up and stepped in and it was amazing. And I remember talking to him one time going, how are you doing? And he's like, Lori, she took care of the whole family for how many years? This is the least I can do. And not that it wasn't difficult because anytime you're taking on somebody else's role. And that's what happens. You know, it's not just, you're not just doing all the stuff you've done. Now you're doing what, what the other person used to do as well. It's tough and it's, it's emotional. So what are some other tips you have, uh, especially for our male listeners? I would say sort of prepare yourself to be the, the national football league's outstanding, most valuable quarterback. Mm Mm-hmm. And how can you do that? Well, you can do it by by practice, and you can do it by uh, how you uh, handle your outlook, your your mind, and mm-hmm. uh, knowing that uh, it's it's one thing to get knocked down, but it's another thing to get up. Uh, yes, we're going to lose, but we're not going to be defeated. But if you want to be a world champion quarterback, you have to take care of yourself. You know, you have to make sure that you eat right. You have to make sure you get enough sleep. You have to make sure you can keep your wits about you because you're never going to make it if you don't do those things. And so, uh, uh, again, I get back to the fact, I think, one, to make sure we join the world of the person who is new and, and, and who now is, but to make sure that we know that it's a sign of courage and not giving up to ask for help, and then to look for resources available. Uh, whether whether it be through support groups or um, whatever, but just to just to well, if they listen to what we're saying here, you can't do it alone. Uh, look look for the times of the silver lining and understand that we can't beat this disease, but the goal can be 
to help our loved one live their best life possible. And that's attainable. We can do that. Yep. Well, Marty, this has just been such a wonderful conversation. You have shared so much with us. I really, truly appreciate your time with us today. Lori, I'm grateful for the opportunity. And again, thank you for the inspiration that you provide to others and how you make a difference in helping people on their journey. So thank you for that, Lori. Well, thank you. Um, in wrapping up, I just want to say I hope you found this conversation as interesting as I did. I, I think I think Governor Shriver gave us so many good tips and ideas uh, in terms of this journey, what it's like, what it can be like. You know, if you just change your your perspective or being open to therapeutic lies, looking at redirection making sure you take care of yourself, um, feeling your emotions, finding support, maybe talking about it a little bit earlier than you think, letting others know. Um, just uh, And those are just a, a few of the tips that he, that he gave us. Please pick up his book called My Two Elaines. You can uh, go to his website, mytwoelanes.com. And you can always email him at martin at sgr wi.com and i would also like to ask our audience to be a giver of hope like click and share it doesn't take any time doesn't take any money and you don't know who in your own sphere of influence is dealing with this and you might not know for years to come because people still feel uncomfortable talking about this and we have to change that and we can do that by sharing information making it a norm for people to have resources to reach out to. And again, don't forget to visit uh, alzheimerspeaks.com. We have one whole section that is full of a ton of free educational resources. And you can also go to Dementia Map, which is our global resource directory. Uh, we've got over 150 categories that you can search. There's great articles, there's a calendar of events and so much more. So thanks, everybody. Really appreciate you being part of our community and pass it on. Bye now. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the Wayshowers who will help your journey a lot easier.